You might not have put two and two together or realize that this podcast, it's actually produced by a nonprofit, listener-supported Wyoming Public Media. We're just a little old station housed in a basement on the beautiful University of Wyoming campus. We aren't getting paid big bucks as a for-profit business. No siree, we're making this podcast not for money, but because everyone on our team believes in what we do, telling the missing stories of the real American West. But that means we rely on people like you. If you make sure to download every episode as soon as it comes out, or have been telling all your friends what a big Modern West fan you are, or would be seriously bummed if we disappeared from your feed, If all that describes you, I wonder if you'd take a quick minute to do something for me. Get into your browser and search for themodernwest.org and find the donate button. It doesn't matter how much you commit to, $5 or $100. It just matters that you show us that you want us to keep telling these stories. My recommendation? Pause this episode and do it real quick before you forget at themodernwest.org. Wyoming Public Media, this is The Modern West, stories to match our scenery. I'm Melody Edwards. I would have said in the past it meant writing about the state, but I don't think it's that. There's a lot of things that aren't said in my work. There's a lot of things that are quieter. And I think all of that is because I'm from here. You ask anyone in Wyoming, nobody can agree on what a Wyoming writer is, even the writers themselves. People resist outsiders writing about this place, and even writers from here can't agree on a definition. But literature is a part of identity. Without knowing who gets to write a place, can we even really know the place? This all started with Annie Prue. Here's Aaron Jones. So when I moved to Wyoming from Texas, I moved for an MFA in creative writing. And Annie Prue was a big Wyoming writer and maybe even the Wyoming writer because everyone's heard of her because she had the story Brokeback Mountain. It's just like gritty and it's about cowboys. She stood astride the state in a very big way. That's writer Allison Hagee. She's a professor of creative writing at the University of Wyoming, and she's originally from Virginia. So, yes, she was a colossus when I showed up and when you showed up, too. Annie Prue, to be honest, she really put Wyoming on the map for Brokeback Mountain and for all of her Wyoming books. Writer Nina McConaughey grew up in Casper, Wyoming. But uh, Wyoming people don't want to claim her, which is a shame, because, I mean, I honestly think those are beautiful stories about Wyoming. The success had something to do with her not being a for-real Wyoming writer, you know? Poet Matt Daly lives in Jackson, Wyoming, and he grew up in nearby Wilson. Daly says it's weird because you would think the state's writing community would be excited that outsiders were finally taking Wyoming literature seriously. I feel like many people I knew who were really committed to living in Wyoming but were newer residents found those stories really compelling and really authentic to the state. And then it really just felt like the, I don't know, sort of literary people that I knew were the ones who were really grouchy about it, you know? And, and which was interesting, because I just felt like, wow, there, I, I have friends who 
might not take Wyoming literature very seriously, who were taking those stories really seriously. I was surprised when I moved to Wyoming to learn that people thought of her as not real Wyoming and they used the term carpetbagger. <laughs> I also have an MFA and I went to, you know, the University of Michigan in the Midwest. That's your host, Melody Edwards. She's a writer, too. You should know Melody grew up in Walden, Colorado, a tiny town just over the border from Wyoming. When I came along and was writing about the West, was writing very Western fiction stories, then I was very much thrown in with, oh, well, then you must love Annie Prue. It felt a little unfair to me that somebody from outside of the West was moving here and writing about these characters that I knew so well when I felt like I wasn't necessarily seeing other writers like me who had grown up here having as much success. So the stakes were higher for you? I felt like the stakes were higher for me. She was able to take risks, maybe in ways that I wasn't, because there was more at stake for me. So she could write about a gay couple, and that a writer like me who really did know these characters, I knew gay couples growing up. Maybe I opted not to write about them because I, it was there was more of a risk. But on the other hand, maybe it was too easy for her to tackle some of those issues because she could walk away. So I started wondering, if people can't agree on whether Annie Prue counts as a Wyoming writer, then what is a Wyoming writer? What is a, what is a Wyoming writer? <laughs> What is a Wyoming writer? Um, I, how do I define a Wyoming writer? Um, <laughs> well, there's an easy answer to that. That would be a writer that lives in Wyoming. Like, so, um, let's see. But then again... So if we talk about Wyoming writer, we can talk about that square on the map. A Wyoming writer. Well, that's a t- you know, growing up, uh, a, there, didn't, there wasn't such a thing. Uh, anybody who has a passion for the written word, it doesn't matter what genre they're in. That's the head of Wyoming Writers Incorporated, Kathy Bjornstead. Her nonprofit organizes a conference every year and encourages a writerly community. I interviewed Nina McConaughey the other day for this story, and she and I talked about how Nebraska has Willa Cather. And there are a lot of states that have this just ultimate writer for and of their state. And we couldn't think of one writer like a Willa Cather for Wyoming. How about, um, oh heck, who, who wrote The Virginian? <laughs> right? But he wasn't from Wyoming. Oh. He's from the East Coast. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe not him. <laughs> That's who I think of when I think of Wyoming. So let's start there with Owen Wister. Wister was born in Philadelphia in 1860. He grew up in a pretty aristocratic family. He went to boarding school in New England and Switzerland, and eventually Harvard. After college, he moved to Paris to be a musician, a composer. But that didn't work out, so he moved home to Philly, and like many upper-middle-class kids who are good at liberal arts but don't know what to do with themselves, he got a job in a law firm, and he started writing on the side. But then a strange thing happened. He had a breakdown. 
he started suffering from vertigo, headaches, hallucinations. His doctor sent him west. And in 1885, he showed up at a guest ranch near Douglas, Wyoming. Throughout the 1890s, Wister spent almost every summer in Wyoming. He was writing stories about what he saw, the dry landscape, the ranch hands, and stagecoaches. People were gambling. People had pistols. Magazines back east published his stories, and his audience grew. Then, in 1902, Wister published The Virginian, a novel about a man good in horsemanship and guns and wit who falls in love with a schoolteacher. I read that and thought, boy, I've read this before. That's my mom, Sandra Jones. She grew up reading a lot of Westerns. When I was growing up, all that was in our house for reading were shelves of paperback books of Westerns that my dad read. He was a product of the World War II where men were men. And in Westerns, it was the same kind of manly thing. And so as a reader, that's what I read growing up. So since my mom knows more about Westerns than anyone else I know, I asked her if she would read The Virginian and tell me what she thought. And what I realized was if this was the first one, a lot of people, a lot of the Western authors were really influenced by him. Most people do consider The Virginian the first ever Western. Zane Grey, Louis L'Amour both influenced by Owen Wister. After a while, it looks really familiar. Oh, you know, cowboy comes to town, town has problems. Or cowboy comes to ranch, the ranch has problems, cowboy fixes the problem, becomes the hero. So you could say Wyoming is where it all began, where Westerns began anyway. Coming up, Erin and her mom decide to make a journey straight into the heart of this Western trope. If you are liking what you're hearing, and actually, hey, even if you don't, we would love to hear about it. Take a moment right now to leave a rating or review on your podcast app. It'll help new listeners discover the modern West so that we can keep bringing you stories about the evolving identity of the American West. Hey, thanks, y'all. My mom and I drove for about an hour through sagebrush country to Medicine Bow, Wyoming. On the way, you see an ocean of prairie interrupted only by colorful freight trains paralleling the highway. Far away, on either side, hazy mountains spurt from the prairie. Medicine Bow is a tiny windswept town, tiny on a Wyoming scale, which means less than 300 people, no grocery store, no stoplight, just a cluster of low wooden buildings. It's a setting in the Virginian. Nine years after the novel came out in 1911, a hotel called the Virginian was built there. It's a tall white stone rectangle, the most imposing structure in town. Inside, layers of tobacco smoke coat a log bar, moose and bison watching glassy-eyed overhead. There's a restaurant like a diner with pie and a counter and a separate dining room with lacy white tablecloths, sparkling crystal. Upstairs, ornate Edwardian wallpaper is everywhere. The beds have ceiling-high posts. Each floor shares a bathroom. At the end of the hall is the Owen Wister suite. This room has a living area with low chairs and tall windows. Here, my mom and I settled onto a red velvet sofa. So do you know what a palimpsest is? No. 
a palimpsest is some sort of writing okay so i went on at length here so uh, unlike my long-suffering mother i'll spare you a palimpsest is a clay tablet you write in the wet clay it dries and then you put another thin layer of wet clay on top so you can reuse it it becomes layers of meaning in wyoming writing culture i think it's kind of like a palimpsest like where we're sitting right now the virginian was built in reaction to that book the things that we make in Wyoming are almost in reaction to things that people from not Wyoming make about Wyoming. And so, like, what does that do to identity? And I guess I'm really interested in talking to you as a reader of Westerns because Westerns are about the West and Wyoming is kind of, in many ways, still the ultimate Western state because there's not really cities here. There's a lot of ranches. There's a lot of people who are trying to like sort of live out the wild west in certain ways. Few people and lots of land. Yeah. And that's how you think of the west. Do you think Owen Wister's a Wyoming writer? I think he's a Wyoming writer to the extent that Remington is a western artist. He didn't live out west, but he certainly visited the west and then painted it and he's considered a western artist so surely Wister is a Wyoming writer but even I mean Remington's a good example of someone where like artists now are maybe even pushing against this idea of like it's kind of a constrained idea of what western art can be mm-hmm. you know because it has to be about big vistas and wildlife and cowboys you know, like if you want to paint stuff in the West that's not that because there's stuff in the West that's not that, then it's not considered Western, even though it's probably less artificial than the other stuff. And I think that's true for a lot of writing in Wyoming and even the place we're sitting in Wyoming, the Virginian being a reaction to an Eastern writer's made up perception of Wyoming. I don't know. I think that like considering what a Wyoming writer is, is a... It's a question about place, like who gets to define a place? People in Wyoming are skeptical when outsiders come and try to define it. When Allison Hagee moved here, she says she experienced that. There's a lot of pride out here and people want you to get it right however they see it as being right. And they felt like too many of the stories set out here had been very simple. Now, some of those are stories to be proud of, and there are dozens and dozens of Westerns, right? So most of the world's view of Wyoming comes from Westerns from the 30s and 40s and 50s. So those stories were basically heroic portrayals of white men, I think a lot of folks were okay with those as a form of entertainment. But what they were less okay with is they didn't like the way the history had been oversimplified. And they were sure as an outsider that I would come in and I would oversimplify the history. And I think that's a fair objection to register. Hagee's written three books now about Wyoming. She says she tried to get the perspectives of a lot of different people. Among those were park rangers and people who oversee public lands, people who hear complicated views 
from a lot of stakeholders. And they gave her some good advice. I think those were the kinds of folks who would say to me, here's what you might think you see at first blush, but this is what I've found out after 10 years on the range, or this is what I've found out after doing archaeological research over all these years, or be careful about people who oversimplify the role of the oil industry or who think they have the, the easy answer for the preservation of sage-grouse. Just don't bite at the first piece of bait that sort of floats by you. Wait, because you're, you're going to learn more um, if you're patient. I was trying to find out something about your early life and where you grew up, and I couldn't find it anywhere. Where did you grow up? Oh, let, let's start all over again. I, I really don't want to go into the history of Craig Johnson. <laughs> That's the mysterious Craig Johnson, author of the best-selling Walt Longmire series. Johnson did tell me he's not from Wyoming. He first came here driving horses over the border from Montana. I found out he grew up in West Virginia and went to college in Philadelphia. But he has embraced a Wyoming identity. When you Google Craig Johnson, in almost every picture, he's wearing a cowboy hat and denim. He lives on a ranch in Ucross, Wyoming, population 25. His Longmire series is about a sheriff in a fictional Wyoming town that bears some resemblance to Buffalo, Wyoming. It's rooted in Western tropes, a lone man with upstanding cowboy morals trying to fight against things like corruption. But the books are also mysteries. The series feels like ultimate Wyoming. And Johnson, with his ranch, his wardrobe, he seems like ultimate Wyoming, too. One of the surprises for me was is how well the books were received, uh, like, say, in France. They're bestsellers, you know, and, and if somebody had asked me if they had said, you know, well, you know, your, your book's about a Wyoming sheriff in the least populated county and the least populated state in America are going to be a runaway hit, maybe France wouldn't have been the first guess, you know, that I would have made. <laughs> you know, that, that to me, it was a little worrisome at first because I thought, okay, well, now Walt is something of a, I'm, I'm holding the responsibility for the way that people perceive not only America, but the America West, but also Wyoming, you know, as a, as a whole. And I thought about it and I thought, you know what, Walt's, you know, he cares about the people in his county. There's no sliding scale of justice. He's not a bad emissary to have. He's a decent guy. He's a good guy. He has a code that he lives by. I think we could do worse. When I asked Johnson what a Wyoming writer is, like most of the people I talked to, he referenced Prue and Worcester. He says sometimes people who aren't from Wyoming can see different things about the place. If you want to be a writer, you need to be like a cop. If everybody's running in one direction, you need to run in the other. I think that Wyoming provides that. It's not the same people working in the same jobs, going to the same place, and that type of thing. I mean, if that's the type of plot that you want, then you probably don't want to read books by writers from Wyoming, because we're going to write about people in a frontier, not only just a geographic frontier, but also an emotional frontier. That's going to be something a little bit different, no matter what you do. Author C.J. Box is another best-selling novelist based in Wyoming who writes mysteries with a Western flair. He grew up in this state, and he says the Wyoming literary scene is booming. There didn't used to be any authors, I mean big authors, who lived in Wyoming. Um, there were local historians, that kind of thing. That's something that always bothered me is that we didn't have any of our own novelists. But now there are quite a few 
I think I might be the only one from Wyoming, but there's certainly writers who have moved here and they're all over the place, probably more than you realize. It's welcoming to writers and people like reading, certainly residents like reading about things set in Wyoming and we would be surprised how many authors are here now. Even though plenty of writers have moved to Wyoming, Box isn't the only one who grew up here. Nina McConaughey, author of the book of stories Cowboys and East Indians, was born in Singapore. But when she was just 10 months old, her family moved to Casper, where she grew up. She moved away for college and grad school and briefly abroad to London and India. But she's been back now for years. She says no matter where she lived, she was always a Wyoming writer. I would have said in the past it meant writing about the state, but I don't think it's that. I don't think you have to even have Wyoming in your work to be a Wyoming writer. I think being a Wyoming writer, for me, it just means this place informs my work, whether that's silence, whether that's openness, those kind of things metaphorically feel like they affect my writing. I feel like there's a lot of things that aren't said in my work. There's a lot of things that are quieter. And I think all of that is because I'm from here. Poet Matt Daly of Jackson also grew up here. His debut book is called Between Here and Home. Daly says he thinks part of what makes a Wyoming writer is paying attention to the non-human inhabitants of Wyoming, to nature. But I don't think that living in Wyoming is necessarily a requirement, actually. I'm a little surprised to say that, but if our writing is kind of informed by the people and places and other inhabitants of Wyoming, that, that works for me. Melody, you mentioned that you know some examples of some of the characters that Annie Prue was writing about, like the gay couple cowboys who were in this world, you know, of rodeo and ranching. And you said that you felt like you knew the story, this story better and more personally. And then you said that you felt like you shouldn't write about them out of respect um, and because you might you were worried you would get it wrong. And I guess then in that case, if other people in the West feel the same way that you do, then these stories don't get told unless an Annie Prue comes, right? There's that. I think that's really true. And so, you know, I remember that after Brokeback Mountain came out, I remembered a lesbian couple that I grew up with, and I recognized that I hadn't explored that. And so I ended up writing a a short story that was sort of a Wild West era. It gave me permission. The fact that Annie Prue had written that gave me permission to write something else that maybe I wouldn't have gotten around to writing. The West is all about pioneers. I mean, I'm, I'm first generation to the West. We all are moving here sometime. You and I are sitting here right now, and somebody is pulling a trailer off of I-80 to come live a new life somewhere in this state, and they are wide-eyed and excited and filled with wonder and hope, and they probably are also not entirely understanding what they're getting themselves into. 
Like the nine-month winters, when the wind blows the prairie bald. Like the sharply expanding and deflating economy. Like how hard it is to cling here, to tendril down roots, to stay. Like how you can't look straight at it, things at once old and imitative. To me, I think learning that this Virginian isn't original, like he didn't base it on this hotel specifically, is kind of a letdown, like it feels fake. Do you feel that way? Absolutely. Now, on the one hand, I I can understand how it feels fake because the Virginian took place in the 1880s. Having read the book, there was not even a hotel here at the time. And so when I found out there's a hotel in Medicine Bow, Wyoming, called the Virginian, I was kind of surprised. But the hotel itself was still, it was built in 1911. So that in and of itself, sitting here in this room, is pretty authentic. It's, it's it's still from a different time and a different culture. And it's not too far removed from that time period of the, the Virginian. So on the one hand, I can see how you can, you can feel like it's fake. But on the other hand, it's not fake. It really is a hotel built in 1911 with the furniture of that time period. It's just the Virginian book was not set here. I think I was wrong about the palimpsest. Palimpsests have layers, but the layers aren't reacting to each other. I think writing in Wyoming is more like a camera obscura. Some painters, like Caravaggio or maybe Vermeer, for example, used to set up their scene and then place before that a board with a tiny pinpoint in it. The pinpoint had a lens, and it beamed the scene upside down onto a canvas behind it. In the dark, the only light the beam from the pinpoint, painters would trace this upside-down scene. Later, they'd add their own color interpretations. I think Wyoming writing is like that. Writers write Wyoming based on an upside-down projection of a painting somebody else did of an upside-down projection, of somebody else's painting which was traced onto an upside-down projection. Owen Wister's observations of Wyoming? Clinically precise, but based on summertime observations. He was neither an anthropologist, nor a local, nor even a member of the class of the people he wrote about. The Virginian Hotel itself? Precisely old, authentically Edwardian, but emerging from a fiction, not the other way around. Brokeback Mountain? Scrupulously researched, robustly detailed, but dreamed up by a woman from Connecticut. But here's the thing. Even the writers born and raised here are reacting to Worcester, to the Virginian, to Annie Prue. Their view is limited to what they see. It isn't omniscient. What they see is filtered through a camera obscura, too. It seems like sort of the moral of this interview is, I don't know, like people should write, like in the West. I mean, they should write. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Or that maybe that at least us Westerners 
need to actively seek out the voices amongst us. As Westerners, we, we need to create the value ourselves amongst us. When we see a really amazing short story collection or novel or essay collection or something, read it, pass it around to people, care about it, Twitter about it, you know, just like share it. Make sure that people value the Western voice, whether it's a, a carpetbagger or a, a native from the West. We, we need to just make sure that the voice of the West is being heard. Maybe no one can look directly at Wyoming. Maybe each of us is writing our own upside-down projection. But with enough of these together, perhaps we assemble a right-side-up scene. A real Wyoming. That story was produced and scored by Aaron the Carpetbagger Jones. But seriously, this episode really got me thinking about who is Wyoming's Willa Cather. Someone that didn't come up in this story was Mary O'Hara. She's the author of the My Friend Flicka trilogy. Those books take place outside of Laramie, where this show is produced. Even though O'Hara wasn't born in Wyoming, she did become a sheep rancher here and stuck out life on the high prairie through the Great Depression when the sheep market crashed. I've read those books more than once. My mom reads them annually. And to me, they best capture the lonesomeness and beauty of a life close to a harsh landscape. But of course, O'Hara ended up moving away eventually, too, and spent her last days on the East Coast. Erin has provided a great deal of ephemera for you to check out at themodernwest.org. There you can see photographs of her trip to the Virginian Hotel with her mom. You can also see a diagram of a camera obscura. And she provides a list of recommended Wyoming books and writers. Check it out at themodernwest.org. In our next episode, who exactly are you when you're from two different indigenous tribes? As a young person, I was called like... I have muddy blood because I am one or the other. So I guess I, I kept that with me into my adult life without even really knowing. I was um, really self-conscious about being both. Both and neither. That's next time on The Modern West. I'm Melody Edwards. Our theme song is by Screen Door Porch. The Modern West is a production of Wyoming Public Media. One of our goals is to get a dialogue flowing about the stories that we're telling. We're hoping that you'll join the conversation. So connect with us on social media and let us know what your thoughts are, whether you agree with what you're hearing or not. We're at Modern West Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. That's Modern West Pod.